Welcome to My Missionist Podcast. I'm Karina, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic interactive media brand. I do these podcasts with my friend and incredible talent, Charlene Spiteri, who's the lead singer and songwriter of the band Texas. Our next guest is someone very known, established, and I'm certain to say this, respected in the fashion industry. He made his debut on the New York runway in 2005. I think his style is really elegant and with a cool edge to it. He is someone I think is really walking the talk when it comes to giving back. He's been an active champion on certain causes, especially children's. He has also discovered a love of cooking and is self-taught. And how he approaches cooking seems quite similar to designing a collection. For those of you who don't know this designer, I really would love you to stay on and listen to a humble, kind and talented Mr. Philip Lim. It's also quite amusing. There's a few giggles throughout this because we had a bit of technical difficulties, all three of us joining together during the lockdown around the world. I'm sure everybody's on the internet. So it brought us a little bit of light relief when we finally did manage to all get together and discuss things. So please do enjoy it. And I hope you're well and safe. Speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye bye. Look, I'm just hitting record anyway, because we're both on, and Charlene's going to try and join if she can. We've got our technical um, ladies trying to get her, but I guess we'll start again about, Charlene was explaining the pant that you've done quite a few seasons, that's, it's her staple wardrobe piece that she loves, and that you're explaining to us about being in buys, unpacking boxes. Yeah, I started my career um, unknowingly with, they called they call her the pant queen. Um, <laughs> her name was Cationa Deli, and I was a, uh, I was at the last year, the last semester of my uh, college uh, years, and it was a uh, you had to take an internship course to get a degree, and it was, my degree was in um, family and consumer sciences department. Wow! So, yeah, I never really I went to um, a fashion school per se. Oh, because we were trying to find out. I I said to Charlie, we probably went to Parsons. <laughs> No, no, no. Completely wrong. Yeah, I have a degree in home economics. <laughs> wow, wow. And um, so the last course was an internship course, and I was at Barney's New York, which is now Sally Defunct, and I was unpacking the new shipment of the season, and it was like a new designer named Katia Nadelli. I naively dialed uh, 411 to get the information, and um, it happened to be the, uh, her headquarters was in Los Angeles, California, where I was living. and. Uh, got introduced myself got the internship three weeks later two to three weeks later she asked they asked me to stay uh, as a full-time assistant and that was kind of the beginning of my career in fashion and it happened to be with the pant queen wow wow amazing yeah so it's kind of something i i trained and you know she taught me so much about how to cut pants because what the mistake is women do not want a, a woman's pant they want men's trouser for cut for a woman oh i wish charlene was on this call because she taught me this like we said this in our last podcast when i used to work at the face i trained at w magazine under alex white then i went to the face and i'd go to the shows and she would be in milan and, and she would take me to the stores and i remember in particular helmet lane store and she was looking at the men's pants and said you've got to wear these they're so flattering and it was from her that i got that tip years ago yeah it's true 
you know, there it's that that nuance, the that uh, what do they say that that devil may care attitude. You know what I mean? And it fits in the right, it, it hangs in the right places and hides the right places. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh gosh, I have to say. Well, like we were kind of just researching everything you've done and your career and it just, I'm so really honoured to speak to you because I think you're one of the few designers that I've come across that actually, or that I'm aware of, that is really philanthropic in, in what you're doing and giving back and you're such an interesting person, Philip. I think you're so incredible. Like, we're just and you're cooking. Oh my god, I want to make the crab omelette. You have to. You have to. It just looks phenomenal. It's so good. I've been sharing all my um, cooking stories and recipes permanently on my Insta- my personal Instagram handle, the real Philip Lim. So I figured anyone who should pick up cooking or wants to try, they can always reference it. It's like video. It's like casual amateur video style step by step right right well I think now particularly in this moment as people have time at home they want to be busy they want to do different things and, and now's the time to do cooking things of having that time when you've not had to before because of work the pressures of work and everything but there's so much I want to I want to talk with you about and it's all going to go a bit randomly all over the place yeah yeah exactly well that's the whole point of these and I think what what I found really cool was you're launching a new garment later on this year made from Algae Oh, yes. Which I can't even fathom what that's going to look like. And, and how, how did that collaboration come about? And how was it working with a material like that? Yeah, it was through Swarovski and their one by and the Slow Factory and their one by one initiative. Basically, it's to pair creatives with scientists. And I got paired with Charlotte McCurdy, who is developing and I don't want to call it plastic because it isn't plastic, but it looks like plastic and it acts like plastic, but it's made of of algae. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, to get anybody to believe anything is it it has to be accessible. This is where we come in. You know what I mean? Because with my brand, my uh, ethos, my philosophy, it's always been about how to democratize fashion and how to make it achievable, keeping it elevate it but making it accessible and make it understandable and making it like a no big deal yes yes to be like uh very frank about it and and the thing is the project what i imagine with the project too it's the end garment's going to be something that you want you want as a woman you want as a consumer and it just happens to be algae blown your blowing your mind in that aspect you know what i mean but it's to me, the design should just support scientific experiment, you know what I mean? And to kind of put on display what is possible if we were to able to put more effort into this. Mm-hmm. And how did, how long did it take to develop all of this, to get to it from conception through to final product making? Um, Charlotte's been working on this on her own for a while now, and I can't speak for how long that is. But together, we, we started this project at the beginning of january oh my goodness wow yeah and we well if it were if we were on normal schedule we were supposed to debut it this september but we'll see because you know yeah everything's on pause at the moment yeah exactly you know but project is more relevant than ever right yeah of course like all of us taking a pause getting back to nature getting back to our hands getting back to the natural process the natural way really going back to not substituting nature for fake substitutes that are very harmful. Yes. It's almost like, you know, you were, you were saying about your cooking, how that's all back to nature. And, and when I was doing some reading up and, and 
looking at all, all the initiatives that you're working with, especially with your cooking, how you, you, want, you felt homesick and the nostalgia of your mother's cooking and you just started to cook without a cookbook, just figuring it out. And I thought oh, it sounded, it made me think of your design process. Like you've got an idea in your head, you've got a smell in your head and you start to experiment and do things that way. I just thought that was really, really interesting. And I, I noticed, I, I learned as well that something you've done, you're obviously you're very big on sustainability and something that I think a lot of brands should do, which I'd find interesting is that you, the labeling on your garments. <gasps> I think I see Charlene possibly coming up. Yeah. Hello! Can you believe that? Hallelujah! <laughs> Congratulations. Now, this is going to make a good podcast, you see. <laughs> Technology is freaky. Charlene, I have to tell you something. You have to give yourself a pat on the back today. You made it back. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't even believe it. Seriously, I was nearly screaming to my 17-year-old saying, please come and help your mother before she absolutely kills herself. I'm so embarrassed. But I'm back. <laughs> you know what, Philip? This was Charlene and our my for our first attempt at our podcast when we were just trying to get all the technical stuff done. I, I had the same feeling I have now. My heart's racing. I'm so hot in the face right now. And I can't even imagine, Charlene, what you've just gone through the last few minutes. I literally think I'm at a loss of stone, which I'm really happy about. That's the happiest thing that's ever happened to me. I sweated so much there that I thought, oh my God, I think I've lost a bit of weight. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh my, oh my goodness. I'm visualising that right now. It's so funny. Honest to God, that's made me so happy, which then which then what happens with that, Philip, then it means then I have to go shopping tonight online and like, buy some new Philip because the, that, the weight has just fallen off me. <laughs> to commemorate this technological breakthrough uh, and philip i have to ask because i said something earlier about about the, the design of the pants and the men's pants and can we just we'll just rewind a little bit because i'm dying for her to yeah. to hear that where you mentioned about oh the lady's name what's her name the designer that taught you how to cut a pant and um it was her famous like dickies and yeah that was like the beginning of my career and what we were saying, what she taught me was um, a woman doesn't want woman's pants. She wants man, a man's trouser cut for her body. Exactly. And that's made me think when you took me to the Helmut Lang store in Milan. And you just, yeah, I mean, I, I'm personally obsessed with menswear. I will literally take men's pants and literally have, well, my mom was a seamstress and literally have my mom adjust the pants to fit me. Because it's always like, I don't, for some reason, designers think that women want the pockets and their, the back pockets and their pants high up and at mm-hmm. an angle. And that just makes your ass look really, really big. We just, we just want a man's pan, which, you know, you I actually have some of your menswear and, and I will tend to sometimes just wear menswear rather, rather than if I can find it small enough. Yeah, it's 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 a common mistake too, and it's really like uh, there are um, tricks to cutting trousers for a woman's body. And one of the big, like what you said, the pocket placement in the back is key. The depth of the pockets, so it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's like uh, suffocating between the material and the, and your body. And also, a one big big factor is the waistbands. Like for example, I I watch when I test pattern makers and I like test them on trousers before um, we hire them or whatnot, I, I test them on trousers and I watch them how they cut a waistband. 
and if they and they curve the waistband too much from the front, I'm like, oh, this this person doesn't understand what is cool. You know what I mean? It's about keeping that front as flat as can be and cutting to the back curve and kind of forcing the waistband curtain to like train a curve. Yeah, exactly. So that it hugs the the small of a woman's back. You know what I mean? Front stays quite like flat and very masculine. But, but why is no one else doing this? You know, that sounds that's such common sense and so flattering for women, but it's very, it's hard to find pants that are, you know, like yours that fit amazing. I think I'm going to speak freely, right? I think that too many people are too rushed to just, just be, be a designer, be a fashion instead of trained to be right. one. Right, yes. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a difference there, right? It's like um, everything, you know, to be a designer, it is, it's like a trade. It's like a a, a service to who you serve, you need to start humbly and you need to train and you need to apprentice and you need to learn so that you can understand why you're, why, uh, what you're crafting and how to craft it. You know what I mean? It's just like, Hey, I have an idea and I don't care how it's made as long as it's quite like, uh, gets attention. It's, it's quite, you know, even, even the butt, even the, the buckle hoop loops on your trousers, like the, these chinos that I keep talking about because that was how we got into this conversation that I always every season I buy the same pant from you that just has little variations but the the belt loop on it you it's not like a little thin belt loop and it's not it's like it holds the belt the belt sits perfectly on the pant if you choose to wear a belt and it's like small details like that are everything when you know, because you talk about sustainability and you talk about, you know, making less clothes and making the clothes that you have last longer. I mean, things like that, when you buy something like that, you always want in your wardrobe. You always go back to that pant or you go back to that shirt or you go back to something and you'll you replace it when it starts to get thin or old or it's been washed too many times or whatever. But those that is really, really important, I think, with, you know, as you say, with sustainability within fashion. Yeah. It's um it's it's like knowledge too. It's like once like for example like yourself, you 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 notice these details for yourself. Any pen that you try on that doesn't have that, you're gonna question. You know what I mean? It's almost like if you are able to understand kind of what you're wearing, why you're wearing it, who made it, how it was made, you start to question kind of uh what you vote for. And what you stand for. And, you know, I mean, for me, this is like going back to like the cooking thing, you know what I mean? It's really like allowed me to rediscover the importance of ingredients, not just like make the dish, you know what I mean? Um, It was like the power of the ingredients and how I should respect the ingredients. And and not only is the ingredient going to taste good, but it is good for you too, or why it's good for you and how many ways it could be good for you. Like, for example... The, the idea of lemongrass, right? Uh, we all know lemongrass is essential oils. There's a scent to it. A lot of Southeast Asian foods uh, are cooked with lemongrass. But did you know it's also an um, incredible natural bug repellent? Yeah, yeah. You know, citricidal and everything, whenever you use any citricidal, whatever, it has lemongrass in it. Always, always. I was in, um, I took a, a solo trip to Cambodia one time because uh, I always wanted to go there. And, you know, it was the height of the summer season. So the mosquitoes were like, just, they were just like, they were at like a, <laughs> a outlet, basically. <laughs> like human blood, right? And and I noticed I was putting on like 
gallons of repellent. And I noticed like the locals are just like, you know, like looking at me, like I'm kind of paranoid. And I asked them, how come you never put anything on? And he was saying to uh, me, he was like, do you notice our cuisine, our food, everything has lemongrass in it. So in essence, we put out, you know, our bodies, our pores put out that scent. And then uh, the, the mosquitoes stay away, you know? It's incredible, right? It makes total sense. And, you know, you're not putting any chemicals or anything on your body. And it just makes absolute yeah. sense that everything's out there. Is there a piece of clothing? I, I just am really interested in this because I heard someone ask someone else the other day. And, and I thought that's really interesting. Is there a piece of clothing that when you were growing up or anything, like an outfit or something that you had that you thought, oh, my God, this is my favorite, favorite ever outfit. And in a certain way, you repeat it to a certain degree with in your own clothing or the way you dress or what you design yeah definitely um I remember growing up and I I grew up on MTV the beginnings of MTV in um Orange County and you know I was never around fashion I, I just I my mother was a seamstress in a sewing factory so I was familiar with clothes or like of how clothes are made and um, MTV had just come onto the scene and you had all these incredible like uh, musicians, musicians that would self-style themselves. And and then it, I, re- I remember seeing like double-breasted 80s blazers, you know what I mean? It was all the rage. It was like all like the vintage boxy ones. Um, we would go to charity shops to scour and put together with the pleated trousers and the white socks and, you know, and like slouch boots and whatnot. And and to this day, my obsession with a navy double-breasted bla- uh, blazer. I kid you not, every season I'm like, oh, I don't, the last thing I need is another navy blue double-breasted blazer. And what do I buy that season? Three more. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's become kind of, now I'm like, oh, you know, it's just my signature. But I love, I love that because it is, it's really funny that when you look back, it's something that really, I mean, that's probably what my obsession is with the perfect chino. My dad bought me um, a pair of chinos in um, America because he worked in on, on shipping and um, he brought me these, these pants back and they would have been, it would have been like in the early seventies. I mean, these pants, you could literally, they could stand up on their own. It was like this canvas this tan canvas and it had a really low rise and the mm-hmm. the way that the it sat right on your hip and again it had a really thick belt loop like not a really thick thick belt loop and I think that in my head that that pant of yours is the closest that I've ever ever found to that pant and that was from my childhood and I remember I lived in those pants and tube socks because tube socks didn't exist in the UK so tube socks with, with stripes I literally was obsessed oh my that God. was my thing <laughs> you, you God you described the inspiration so well growing up too I grew up in um, the suburbs but it was a pocket of the suburbs where there was a lot of immigrant um, immigrant settlement and it was a lot of gangs and, you know, in, in early immigrant settlements, communities would form gangs to protect themselves. Uh-huh. And it was like literally we would all go to Kmart, economical, like big uh, chain shop, and they would dickies there. And you would get the like the very hard starch, the, the unwashed raw dickies. And then you would actually put another layer of starch on it so they can literally stand and they would hold the three always about the tube socks and the the dickies and the white clean t-shirts and simple oversized dress shirts and it was the way you stood and meant like you know claiming space and that 
forever, forever, ever, ever until my the ends of my uh, fashion days will be always the source of inspiration for me. It's like a, it's like you create clothes to create a stance. Yes, yes. It's an identity. It's a character, isn't it? It's your your armor. Definitely, it's your armor. And. I was um, I was just saying to Philip earlier that before we fantastically got you back, Charlene, that you started putting labeling on your garments for customers to educate them. What was that? Does that have the the, the workers' details or the the fabric content? What what's actually what prompted that? Well, the thing is, to talk about sustainability. I'm, you know, for me, it's about sustainable balance, and that word is key, and we call it the three one sustainable balance because I don't believe by by just existing. It's hard to be sustainable. We have to live lives. We have to do the things we have to do, and you know we shouldn't hurt. We shouldn't hate ourselves for doing that. We shouldn't punish our neighbors for having to do what they have to do. So for me, it's about balance, right? And I realized through this research, through the journey, and through like speaking with people, and even in in our own uh, process of design too, it, it's quite impossible to be so pure and so idealistic because it's not successful, and it and people will give up. You know, and I feel like for me, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power where you uh, provide people so that they can make the decision, or they can feel better about it, or they can read something and then they can go down their own uh, rabbit hole to investigate further what they want. And what happened was I, I started to care more how I would start the collection, and I feel figure from a creative a creator point of view, a design point of view, the power I have is the choices I I make to start a collection. Uh, meaning. The size of a collection, I could reduce down to the more essential pieces, pieces that um, have a purpose, people, people, pieces that I, I can see the character wearing. In between, let's eliminate, first of all. Secondly, I could, I could start with more natural fibers, more friendly fibers, more second-generation fibers. I could mix that all up so that it's not like all new all the time. And, uh, and through this investigation, you have so many types of organizations and labelings that's so confusing and we're in the business and I can't imagine the the regular consumer trying to even navigate and understand so what we did was you know I don't want to claim anything sustainable because at the end of the day it truly isn't you know in the making of it the existence of it existence of it it truly is kind of an oxymoron already so it's more about you know what can you do individually in small steps from the, from the beginning of the creation to how you put it out there that can rebalance your footprint, can really show intention more. And the labeling that you see, the 3-1 um, sustainable balance labels, it's really like every garment that, that has a special process or the, the, the fibers that are being used, the textiles, it's a breakdown of fibers, what they mean, the types of finishing, where they come from, anything that kind of adds to the better fight. To me, it's really about... My hopes is the more we put that out there, the more people can just choose to, to, to make their own decisions and which way they, they want to veer that or uh, proceed. So I'm, what I'm proud of is, you know, from, from taking this more seriously about two years ago to this point, we've converted about 50 to 60% of, 50 of our collections to be more sustainably balanced. That's a lot. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, some seasons, you know, it, we lose we lose the battle a little bit, but then we get back up because it's about letting it be fluid and not being so militant on um, what you achieve and and your success because success is not linear. Yes, 
Yes, no, you're right. And it's and I think I like that knowledge is power. So if you're going to buy a garment, you want to know a bit more about it. And I love that you kind of just, you open that conversation for your customers yeah. and let them make that decision, how they want to proceed and learn about it. And I think that's the best you can do. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you too, just being an independently owned and to this day company, you know, our supply chain is quite simple. You know, it's like we work with a handful of vendors that we have since the beginning. It's, it's funny because my business partner and I, we're always like a ch- proponent and champions of relationship building. And in this situation that we're in now, we find that the relationships that we have, that has gotten us here are going to help us get out of this situation because, you know, we're, we're connected like, like family, extended family. And so it's a different way of working. It's like a really mom and pop on a global scale, a boutique, it's like, I call it, like we call it boutique manufacturing, you know, where we're just tapping into a very close knit of supply chain where we get things from, you know, and we try to narrow it down and stay focused and go deeper so that we can have very responsible, accountable, sustainably balanced conversations and how we develop and how we work so that everyone wins and gets a fair share. Yes, no, and actually that, I was speaking to Charlene earlier about all the stores you have around the world and how I'm sure they've been impacted by COVID-19 and, and your workforce in, in Asia. I know you had like, you've got quite a few stores in China, but it's interesting that like South Korea, Seoul have, they seem to be coming through and, and I'm hearing that Asia is going to be the first to kind of get back up and open the borders and, and have get back on their feet. And also know that you did a You've done a great project to support the people of Wuhan. Can you just tell us about that, please? Mm. Yeah. Because of this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, there has been such a rise in racism, Mm. violence, and xenophobia towards the Asian communities. And, you know, because of just bad actors uh, perpetuating a a deranged narrative for their personal um, gain. And it's not right. It's not fair. Sure, it started in China, but that doesn't, you don't blame a whole race. You don't condemn a whole race based off of something that happened, you know what I mean? Or else none of us could be speaking. Our country should not be talking. So I started to like speak out about it more and, um, you know, explain to people, this is a health and human threat, a health and human virus, not one that is based off of race, sex, gender. It doesn't discriminate basically. And you know, from the source Wuhan, we're working with some very incredible aspiring friends who are quite prominent in the area and also with a, a pharmaceutical company, Haohung. And um, we, we partnered together where I developed uh, this, this graphic and this uh, hashtag called Love uh, Unity Community because it is about that. It's about replacing hate with love and pushing out this idea where we have to unify and come together as a global community. And so the pharmaceutical uh, agreed to uh, create like 100,000 hand sanitizers to give out to the local people there. And we developed this T-shirt that we'll sell online on, um, on certain platforms and we'll donate the, the proceeds to charities that are local there. So this started out for Wuhan, but, you know, we're continuing it into a more global series because it's not just about Wuhan, where it started, but it's affecting the whole world. So it's almost like we're in the talks about how do we take it into a more global space, you know? And again, it's that, it's the, it's a message of love, unity, and community because it's the right words to get us through. 
Yes, yeah. But you've always been, you, you seem to be quite philanthropic in, in other projects you've done. I know you've done Children in Conflict. I'd love to just hear more about that and how that came about. And you, you seem like that's, you have this passion to give back and to help when there's a, a crisis and disaster, that you really step up to, to want to do something in a very natural, giving way. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys um, seeing that. I don't know. I think that to be human is to, to feel and to see and to hurt and to love, to share, basically. And, you know, in what I do, it takes a village, literally. Um, as a designer, I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, I have this position and this platform. But I want everyone to know, listening, that, you know, it's not magic. It actually takes the work of a community, a village, to make what you see happen, to make what you wear real, you know? And I think that um, it's so lonely to think that uh, you live, like, it's so lonely to live in a bubble, an isolated bubble where it's just about you. And I think that for me, to share, to share wins, to share heartaches, to share all sorts of journeys, that's, that's what it is to be human. And um, I, just, I just find it really more rewarding and satisfying when we can act as a collective. You know what I mean? And when people need, we all step in. You know, we use our collective voices to step in. We step in, we stand up, we speak for the ones that don't have a voice or in, in predicaments that are less desirable. And um, from, from, war, um, from this Wuhan project to, to children in conflict to um, the, even the Swarovski Sustainable Initiatives, it's all trying to experiment, um, do things that actually contribute to a hopefully a more natural future, a more uh, a future back to where we're connected and not so pulled apart disparately, you know? Well, I think it's, it takes a certain person to do that, though. I think it's very humbling to see that you've got that platform, you've got that audience, that you can make a difference and you can do something. And I think you portray that and you do it very naturally which I think is just incredible and I hope that leads you know that has a knock-on effect with other people especially if that's if that's something that can come out of what's going on around the world now that there's more empathy um, for people to give back and to help their neighbor. I promise myself that um, once we come out of this and I've, I've been speaking about it too because this pandemic is going to decimate not only going to take lives but it's going to decimate the economy it's going to be quite a shit show, basically, right? But, you know, you always have to look, try to look at the silver lining. And, you know, the things that I've been speaking about that has been leading up to this point, you know, I, I said a while back, you know, fashion needs a spiritual reboot. Uh, how can we continue to uh, work at this pace where, where we talk about sustainability, but we're not talking about human sustainability. But all these things that add up to this. And, I, and so, so this happened. And this is nothing that anyone could ever desire or wish for. But at the same time, I think we should take this moment to do the best that we can to try to reflect on and reimagine and manifest the world that we want to come into or come out of this with, you know? And I said to myself, like, going forward, no matter what is left, I'm going to pick up the pieces and whatever I do, there has to be a more clear purpose. 
you sound i mean when listening to what you say you you sound like a person that that lives life rather than exists in this world that we're we're in and so many people just kind of i always feel that a lot of people just sort of exist and they just want 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 um and i think that this will definitely make a lot of people definitely reassess their lives and what they want and um who they want to to be around and um i think it's going to change a lot of people's minds on a lot of things to do with with how they work where they work from um what they need in their lives and what they want in their lives i really think that but you from before this has even happened you sound like someone that that enjoys life that really really embraces it Thank you. Um, you know what I've been fortunate with? You know, what I do is we create. We create and try to manifest beauty, right? And that used to be my whole purpose, the beauty. And in this journey of mine, in this fashion journey, I witnessed very ugly things, very ugly people um, in their behavior, in their actions, what they stand for to, to try to, to get to this beautiful place or to create this beautiful thing. But I've also had the amazing fortune of working with amazing people, talented, good-natured, very kind, decent people that also allowed me to create that beautiful product. So I was fortunate to see both, both sides of this uh, journey. And I realized, you know, what people, what people fear, why people hate and why people just try to hold on is because of fear. Fear that if they don't, if they release, if they don't behave, if they share, they won't be able to achieve what is beautiful, what they as valuable. But that's a, such a myth because you can work with the right people, work with amazing teams, and work with really like diligent and and hardworking and people full of intention, and still create that beautiful product. But not only will you create that beautiful product. It will feel so damn good on how you got there, the journey that you took together, you know? Absolutely. It's like cooking, going back to cooking again. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a songwriter and a, a musician, and the thing is is that I think when you can slow everything down, and it always amazes me when people turn to successful people and they say, oh, my God, it must be so hard. And I really look and I think why we're doing something that was our dream we're doing something that was as a kid i dreamt of doing this this is what i wanted to do it's not hard honestly going to do something that you don't want to do is hard that's hard and that's really really difficult i never understand that question and i never really understand when you are around certain people and someone's kicking off or just being a you know being basically an asshole and you think, what is it with that that noise that you want to make in life that you think is going to is going to help you go further or succeed or have a have a long career? Because that's the thing as well is you've had a you know you've had a really good long career and it's it's keeps moving forward 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 and I think sometimes when we're well not sometimes but absolutely when you're on your way up if you're a good nice person and you're doing making decisions for all the right reasons people do remember that 
and the you know they always respect it and they always come back to it but you know I can really feel I, I mean I feel from you that that you have that that you've always respected the people that you've worked with and that from it takes as you said it takes a village to create something it's not just you alone sitting quietly dying to say this <laughs> are you still getting your fedex meals sent from your mum <laughs> not right now <laughs> not right now um she she still sends me sauces like certain sauces that i don't know how to make because that's amazing yeah mom could do that you know and and it's fortunate in like kind of um the how where we live she lives on the west coast and i live on the east coast so the last pickup for uh fedex is like 9 p.m that you can drop off and so she'll prepare it my brother will uh wrap it up take it to the fedex offices then ship it overnight and by the time i it arrives in the morning it's quite fresh still oh my god that is so cool yeah because i'm on the wet east coast in new york so it kind of works out the route and does that inspire you to just to cook more oh what, the sauces that she make um it, they've become very famous now or legendary because when i she she makes so much of it that i always share it with friends and colleagues and every time like i I notify people like, oh, more sauce is coming and they're going to be like, okay, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. It actually promotes a lot of people to try to cook because it's a kind of all-in-one sauce where you can dip, cook, and marinate things. You know what I mean? So. Oh, God. This is my stomach is rumbling just thinking. Oh, you wait till you see the crab omelette online, Charlene. Your mouth will start watering then at that. I see. And Philip, I love that. I love that um, you were saying before that your shrimp dish that you leave the shell on and you, you mix it in all these dried um, ingredients because you came from thinking what dish goes with beer. I love how you think like that. <laughs> but you've got to think like that. That's the only way. I, I'm married to Chef Philip, so um, that's kind of like our. That's our house. Is basically you know basically every night is like well what we're going to do especially with the lockdown. I've never eaten so well in my life. I actually didn't realise he was that good a chef. No, I didn't. But, <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, he's never he's never cooked since the day we met. He's he's normally never home because he's in his restaurants. But um, I, honestly, it's just that oh, you've got to see where it goes. You know the, what you're drinking alongside it. When you get a drink that is perfect with the sauce or whatever it is alongside, you you know. That's the best thing in the world. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible. Because also, not only is it magical and uh, all-in-one, but the way she makes it, too. She uh, She's so old school that, you know, it, at her house, she has a, a small garden. So she'll grow the lemongrass. She'll grow, like, all the herbs. She'll just, she'll do things the old way so that the texture is there. Like she doesn't have a blender. She'll like use a pesto mortar on everything. So so you so it's not pureed. It's like you still get the, the bits and texture. And that's so important in cooking, you know what I mean? So it doesn't taste like a juice, you know? It's such a, you know, to be able to cook is such a, is, is you know, to watch someone, to learn from someone as well that, that knows all these these recipes have been handed down through generations is quite extraordinary. I, I'm actually lucky enough, my friend, a, a friend of our family is delivering Thai food to us tonight. 
she came up so our friend Goy, she's from Thailand, she came to the UK probably about 10 years ago. And when she came, she had never she'd never cooked before. And I was like, and you never she says, no, no, because when she she's a lot younger than me, and she said, when we were growing up, we just and whenever we were out with my friends, we just ate the street food because the street food is so good. It's just like that is what we eat. So when she came to the UK, she missed so much of the food that she couldn't get um, and that she couldn't find. So then she started teaching herself how to cook. And normally she only cooks on New Year. She cooks all this food for us all and we all sit down together and it is, oh my God, it's extraordinary. But she's decided with the lockdown, she's going to, tonight she said, right, no one cooked tonight and she's going to drop off with her husband some food packages to everyone's houses. So we are all having Thai food tonight and I am literally beside myself. I'm beside myself. I'm so excited. She's an amazing cook now. <laughs> oh, Thanks God. for that. That's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's incredible how how simple pleasures and simple joys that we can look for to really sustain us, huh? Yeah. And get us through. Yeah, like especially in this moment too. It's like I always tell friends or anybody, just do, breathe, do your best, acknowledge that no one has the answer. It's acknowledge that this is not personal to you and focus on the simple joys that you may have left or something to look forward. And and just to remain safe and, and well, that's, you know, with a roof over our heads and food in the fridge, we're very lucky. Very, very lucky, you know, and it's really going to, uh, hopefully take us back to a place where we appreciate the basic, basic foundation and just necessities. Yeah, I think we hopefully will appreciate each other a lot more. Yes. And I hope kinder to humans. Yes. Well, Philip, this is, this has been fantastic speaking to you. And I, I want to have another podcast with you because you're a delight to talk to. You really are. Yeah. Such kind soul. Yes. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Okay, my my pleasure. Thank you. Have a beautiful day and stay well and um, be healthy. Thank you so much. Lovely to you. You take care, everyone, and, and thank you so much for all your time. After we did that last podcast with Philip, it left me really hungry. I wonder if any of you are going to try any of Philip's recipes, I have to say. I really want to try the crab omelette. So thank you, Philip, for sharing that with us. Comfort food during these incredibly tough times is a must in our household. Our next guest is someone I have yet to meet, but we will one day. I'm certain of that. Mission introduced her in our launch issue, Women of Empowerment, in 2017. What an amazing woman she is. She's someone I really admired when we discovered what she was doing. She has accomplished so much with so little given to her. The next episode coming up, we meet Fereshdi Faro, who had to fight for her education. She's opened up the first ever female coding school in Herat in Afghanistan. So please tune in to hear her whole story in our next episode. Thank you for listening and supporting Mission. Be well and keep safe. All the best. Bye-bye.